Hello, everyone. Um, our sermon series that we've been looking at this, this term is playing our part in church life. So far, we've heard Graham wonderfully speak about repentance and faith and baptism and holy communion. In this sermon, I'm going to talk about the nature of worship. Before I start, let's take a moment in prayer. Father God, I pray that through the words I'm about to speak, you would help us to understand worship more clearly. And I pray that through my words, you would inspire me and us to become more worshipful beings in thought and action. Amen. So I wonder if I said, what's worship? I wonder what you'd think of. Would you think of someone in church raising their arms high in worship? Would you think of a person alone in their room, knelt down praying? Would you think of the way a younger sister would look at their, old, their older sister? Or oh, I'm an older sister, so I hope that's the sort of look they get. Who knows? I think that worship is when we positively acknowledge the true worth of something. We can worship all sorts of different things in our life. And I would say that not all worship is true worship. When I was in sixth form, I was obsessed with the idea of having an iPhone. And I truly believed that having one would change my life. I was disappointed to say that when I got my mom's hand-me-down iPhone 3, my life hadn't revolutionized in the way I had envisaged. Looking back on that story, I would say I gave the iPhone a misplaced value in my head. This wasn't true worship, I would say. It was idol worship. By contrast, I would say that when we worship God, we're acknowledging that God is of absolute worth. Worship of God is when we acknowledge who God really is. And when we acknowledge God's worth, and that God is of absolute worth, we end up challenging those things in our life that we could be worshiping as idols. I'd like to suggest that we can worship God in many different ways, in church, in, at home, in the ways we spend our money. Um, I'd like to suggest that worship isn't just a special holy moment that happens in church, but it could be a way of being. And I, I think we see this in Psalm 57, which Colleen so nicely read for us. I found over the week that Psalm 57 has been a remarkable psalm to reflect on to set the scene. This psalm is written in the voice of David before he's king. He's alone in a cave, hiding from the murderous and jealous King Saul, after his best friend, Saul's son, Jonathan, had told him of Saul's murderous intent. I wonder what you'd be thinking if you were alone in a cave, told that one day you'd be king, but right now you're just in a cave, Afraid, hiding for your life. David's words amaze, baffle, and inspire me. He begins by asking God to be merciful for him and saying that he finds refuge in God. He then intercedes to God, asking God to act out his purposes. It's only after this that David remembers the situation he finds himself in. And he says that he feels as if he were in the midst of ravenous beasts. I find it interesting how he continues. 
David continues by saying, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. But then, again, his mind returns to the situation he finds himself in. And he says he feels as if he's bowed down in distress. But nonetheless, he continues with steadfast promises to make music to God and to praise God amongst the nations. He then ends by repeating his previous proclamation, be exalted, O God, in the heavens. I think that the way that David acts in this stressful and difficult place can teach us many things, both about the nature of song worship and what it means to lead a worshipful life. I think it's the first thing that strikes me reading this psalm is that the proclamation, be exalted, O God, in all the earth, is repeated. I wonder if it's repeated because the first time that David says it, he says it because he knows that it's true. But the second time he says it, he says it because he feels like it's true. I think it's important for us to remember that we don't always have to feel the things that we proclaim in worship. Often worship can be proclaiming things that we don't feel, but through the proclamation of them, we come to believe them more closely. I remember the day that I would say I became a Christian. I was 13, and in Soul Survivor, which is a big, charismatic summer festival, everyone around me was jumping in worship. And I was young and insecure, and I was trying to look really holy and jump really high. It was a Wednesday evening, and I had become tired of all my charismatic spiritual jumping. And I sat down and reflected on the words of the next song. The worship band was playing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I thought of Jesus, who had died for me, me, a sinner, condemned unclean. I remember that day. I'd come to Soul Survivor, pretty sure of God's existence, pretty sure of the truth of the Bible, and with the firm intention of being a Christian when I grew up and was ready for all that entailed. But I left that Wednesday evening meeting a Christian, Excited to participate in church. Excited to talk to my friends about Jesus and having been moved by God. That change happened in me through worship as God showed to me that being a Christian wasn't first and foremost about what I could do, but about what Christ had done for me all those years ago. That change happened as I proclaimed in worship, in my heart, a truth that I didn't fully understand. And so I think that true worship is when we proclaim things about God. And from that place, we are moved. Moved to see ourselves differently. And moved to see our situation differently. We see in this passage as well, as I mentioned, that David says that he feels as if he were in the midst of lions, surrounded by men whose teeth are like spears and arrows. And yet he says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens and the earth. Did David feel like saying that? Probably not. I think he was rather saying it because he knew it was true. However, when the psalm ends, David says again, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. I think the fact that he repeats it is significant. 
I think that David meant it the second time. In this psalm, we also see that for David, worship of God is like a refuge. I think that worship can and should be a refuge for us all. I certainly know that there have been times in my life when I've come to church and for one reason or another have not felt able to sing songs of praise and worship to God. I was glad that everyone else wasn't feeling the same way. I felt like I was able to worship through the people around me. And I think in part that's the value of corporate worship. As our society is becoming increasingly individualistic, it's fair to ask, why do we gather together on a Sunday morning to sing songs of praise to God? Yes, sure, proclamation of God changes the way we see God and changes the way we see our situation. But why do it together? I think in part we worship together because we as a church are a body. Some of us here may be grieving, some may be doubting, some may be overwhelmed. And we gather together so that we can sing songs of praise to God for our friends and for our neighbors. Part of why we worship is because life is hard and it's easy for us to forget what is remarkable and what is true. It is easy for us to forget that we believe in a God who created the heavens and the earth, a God that became flesh and died for us, a God who knew each one of us before we were born. And I think that worship helps us, individually and as a church, remember and see afresh what we believe. And finally, I think that worship matters, not only because it changes the way we see God and see ourselves, and because it binds us together as a corporate body, but I think that worship matters because it changes the way we live, we have a picture of the worshipful life written for us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. In this verse, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, So, whether you eat or drink, in whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. A fair response to this exhortation from Paul would be to say, Zoe, that's much easier said than done. It's easy to leave church with a new resolve to serve God in whatever we do and do it for his glory. But Zoe, doing it is much harder. I've noticed that there's a frustrating and omnipresent gap between what we say and what we do, between what we believe and how we act. I think part of this gap happens because we aren't just thinking beings. We don't just sit down and decide one day and then continue to leave, lead our lives according to those beliefs we decided. No, rather I would say that we are heart-led beings. We are led by our hearts and the things that we value. What does it mean for us as Christians to say that we are heart-led people that make decisions based on what we value? I'm reminded of Matthew 6 in which Jesus, during the Sermon on the Mount, says, Where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, so your body will be full of light. 
But if your eyes are unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. I think that we see in this verse a challenge that the things that we end up valuing determine who we are and what we do. In these verses, Jesus seems to be saying that we cannot be people that value lots of different things equally. We can't have two masters. So there's a choice before us. What's most important? And the question of what's important, most important matters. Because we can see from Matthew 6 that we are what we worship. I don't think that we can make the choice of what most matters in one day. Rather, I think we decide every day in the things we buy, in the things we think, and in the things we say. And in things we don't buy and don't think and don't say, we are making the choice of what's most important to us. If we say that we as humans are not primarily thinking things, but rather are people of the heart, we should rethink what it means to develop as Christians. In a life full of choices, what does it mean for us to keep on choosing wisely? I love the quote that says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood, don't assign them tasks and work, but rather, Teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. I think that formalized acts of worship have the role of placing wonder in our hearts and thereby changing the way we act because it slowly alters what we place our value in. I think that we see the same thing modeled in the psalm that was read. In the process of worship, David says, my heart, O oh God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music. In other words, in the process of worship and declaring who God is, David resolves to act differently. He resolves to have a steadfast heart and to praise the Lord of all the nations. Here we see that the act of worship has changed David's outlook. This is true worship. True worship engages our heart to remember who God is. And these beliefs inspire us to act. We worship and formalize acts together as a church and individually in our rooms to have our hearts re-enlightened as we try to lead worshipful lives. It's really easy to forget the big picture of life the big picture when life gets busy. And I think that worship in church and in private helps us to remember that big picture and so empowers us to live lives as if God were king. So I wonder what it means for us to say that worship matters. I wonder what it means for you. As I was preparing this sermon, I felt God put two challenges on my heart. Firstly, how do I relate to our corporate gatherings of worship? Do I look forward to the time 
is a chance to reorient God's place in my mind. Secondly, if I am what I worship, who am I and what do I worship? Worship matters. And I wonder in what I've said has struck you. What does it mean for you to be a true worshiper? Let's reflect on that for a moment. And then I'll pray, and Steve will come up and lead us in a time of worship. Lord God, we worship you. We worship you as creator, as creator of all the things that we are and see and touch and know. We worship you as redeemer. We worship you as sustainer, sustainer of our being and our life. We ask, Lord God, that you would renew our hearts in worship. We ask that you would help us, through action and in song, to lead worshipful lives. Amen.